Hey everybody, it's Luke McElroy back for another Physiology Secrets. I saw a, um, I saw a pretty cool video yesterday. Uh, a friend of mine, she's a, um, a science teacher at a high school and they were doing an experiment. It was just like year, year seven and eight science class and they did like an experiment on some frog legs. So the, f- the frog was obviously dead, it was just frog legs um, and their muscles were exposed, so they'd obviously skinned them. And um, basically what she did was she poured salt on the frog legs and the, the legs started contracting and, and spasming. And um, I don't know, I thought it was really, I thought it was pretty interesting. Like, you know, the, the frog's dead, it's probably been dead for a while. All you have to do is put some salt on the legs and, and the muscles actually start contracting even though um, there's no life um, in the frog and it sort of got me thinking and, and she sort of mentioned she sort of turned to me and said oh you know what this is don't you and I was like oh yeah it's to do with the sodium potassium pump but then uh, which is basically the mechanism behind contracting muscles but um, I thought <clears throat> it sort of got me thinking because like sodium potassium pump it's an act it's, it's active transport you actually need energy for the muscles to contract and to, and, and to um, and for the sodium potassium pump to work. So for this podcast, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, how, how a muscle contracts and also um, some reasons why a muscle might fatigue. So the sodium potassium pump, basically it's what it does is that's what controls what we call the action potential. So it's that electrical signal which tells muscle fibers to contract. It either contracts or it doesn't. You have the right amount of electrical current or you don't. You can't be in between. It either contracts or it doesn't. Okay. So the sodium potassium pump happens in the cell. And basically what it does is um, sodium or salt is going to come inside the muscle and then potassium is gonna get transported outside the muscle. So by transferring these electrical currents, we basically change the charge of a muscle fiber and that's either gonna make it contract or it won't. So what's happened is that in this science experiment, the, we've put artificial salt on, on top of the, on the frog legs and then that has then activated this sodium potassium pump. Some of that sodium went into the muscle, um, some potassium went out and, and the muscle started to spasm and, and contract. Now, what sort of got me confused at the time was that, well, for potassium to, so for the, for the muscles to contract, sodium needs to come in, but potassium also needs to come back out. Now, sodium can come in passively, so we don't need energy for sodium to come in. It's just going to go through diffusion, so from high to low, there's obviously, if we put salt outside, there's going to be a high concentration of salt outside the, uh, the muscle and the cell, and there's going to be a low concentration inside, so it's naturally going to go from outside to inside. But potassium... Potassium isn't going to get exchanged passively. We actually need ATP, we need energy for potassium to go from inside to outside. So this kind of got me confused. I was like, well, hang on, if, if the frog's dead, it doesn't have any energy, how's it going to, how's it going to achieve this? But, then, but then, um, then I remembered that we do have a certain number of um, intramuscular, we call intramuscular ATP stores. So basically we have about uh, if we didn't have any food fuel, so no fat, no carbohydrates, no phosphocreatine, um, we would have enough energy to last about three seconds, okay? So without any fuel source, we have three seconds worth of energy before we literally can't contract or, or you know, and we die, so, so to speak. So although this frog has no glycogen, no, has no phosphocreatine, they still had a little bit of intramuscular ATP. So that was enough to see three to five seconds worth of contractions when, when the salt was poured on it. Obviously, beyond that, um, the, the muscular contraction stopped because we, we didn't have the phosphocreatine or the glucose or glycogen, the, the fat, 
to then resynthesize ATP um, or, or let's say rebuild ATP so we can continually contract. So I thought that was really interesting. So it had a little, it had enough just for you know a few seconds of of muscle contractions. And I guess with this, I wanted to sort of speak about, as I said, what makes a muscle contract and then also what creates fatigue in that muscle as well. So sodium and potassium are you know, the main electrolytes that we drink in those sports drinks. And it's just about having a balance of the two, which, which basically avoid cramping. You know, if, you, if you're low on sodium or potassium, you're often gonna experience cramps. Um, and it's going to affect the way that the muscle contracts. So it's really important that we get that, that balance of, of, of sodium and potassium through our sports drink. So when we lose our sweat, we lose sodium through our sweat, we need to obviously reintroduce it in the form of drinks or gels or whatever we choose, okay? So really important for the, the electrical current required to stimulate a muscle contraction. Uh, it's really important that we have the, the right sodium and potassium um, inside the cell there. But further on that, there's a couple of ways that we can, so it's obviously we want to get the, the electrical signal to contract, but there's also a couple of other things that, of other things that will, um, will fatigue us throughout the way. So there's, there's two ones I want to speak about. One is, is inorganic phosphate, and the other one is hydrogen ions, which is basically what we get from lactic acid. Now, the first one, inorganic phosphate, that's that first energy system, that ATPPC system, the one that we use predominantly for 10 seconds. So you're looking at your 100-meter sprint, flying 200 on the, you know, for track cycling, things that last you know, less than 10 seconds. And what you'll notice, if you look at a 100-meter sprinter, they're going to hit peak velocity at about six seconds into the race, and then they're actually going to decelerate from the six to 10 or 12 seconds, depending on, on who's racing. They're actually going to decelerate towards the end of the race. And the reason they do that is because they get an in, uh, a buildup of what we call inorganic phosphate. And what these inorganic phosphates do is they, they inhibit, one, they inhibit calcium release, um, from, what, from what we call the sarcoplasmic reticulum. I know I'm getting a little bit complicated. I'll try to simplify it as much as possible. We, get, we, we basically get an inhibition of calcium. We need calcium to then contract the muscle as well, okay? So we have what we call myosin and actin, and they're basically the smallest part of the muscle fiber. They contract against each other to, to contract the muscle, all right? So we need them to contract the muscle. And what these myosin have is they have these they ha we have um, myosin binding sites, all right? So actin will basically insert into myosin and then it will contract, all right? But when we have inorganic phosphate build up, we don't release enough calcium and these, these, these um, myosin binding sites, they don't actually get exposed, so they stay closed. When we have calcium release, they'll open up, the actin can come in, they can insert into the myosin, and they can contract forcefully. But when we don't have enough calcium coming in, maybe only 50% of those holes will open up, so we can only get 50% of the muscular force. So when we actually get a buildup of inorganic phosphate through basically contracting too quickly and not being able to regenerate that ATP quick enough, that's actually gonna reduce overall muscular force because we're not opening up those myosin um, binding sites for the actin to reach into. So the reason that we slow down from six to 10 seconds in a 100 meter sprint is because we, are, we literally are producing less muscular force as a result of that. If we flip over to the other um, fatiguing mechanism, we look talk about hydrogen ions, which is what, we, what is um, part of lactic acid, that burning sensation you feel in the legs. When we have a buildup of hydrogen ions, we actually, a lot of people think that that reduces muscular force. It actually doesn't change muscular force at all. But what hydrogen ions will do is it will actually increase muscle relaxation time. 
So you can still generate the same amount of force, it just takes longer for your muscles to then relax before it can contract again. It's impossible to contract and relax at the same time. So let's say if we are producing 300 watts of power, I'm just gonna say, well, just to keep it easy, 300 watts of power with this muscle fiber, uh, when, we're, when we're fresh, it takes one second to recover. So you do 300 watts, one second recovery, 300 watts, one second recovery, so on and so forth, all right? Whereas when you have hydrogen ions coming, uh, a buildup of hydrogen ions through lactic acid accumulation, it's going to be still going to be 300 watts of force, but it's going to take two seconds to then for that muscle to then relax. All right. So overall, we're going to be reducing that power output because um, although we produce the same force, we're producing it more slowly through the re because it's taking longer to re to relax. So power being force times by time. So if we have the same force, but it takes longer to generate that force, um, we're going to reduce that power output. So um, what the hydrogen does, it doesn't actually reduce the force, it actually just takes the muscle longer to relax, which means we can't produce that force until later on, okay? Um, so in terms of take-homes from today, I'm more brainstorming than anything, um, but really staying hydrated through getting the right sodium, potassium in through sports drinks is really important. One, so we can get that action potential, the muscle can actually contract. But also, it's, it's, it's a sort of a fun fact to know that the reason that we slow down from a 100-meter sprint is because of a reduction in muscular force due to the inorganic phosphate buildup. Compared to something where we're holding threshold or just beyond threshold for a long time, actually doesn't change the muscular force. It's actually increasing the relaxation time, and we can't contract while we're relaxing, um, so we're actually going to slow down as well. Um, so yeah, something to think about, guys. Um, hoping, hoping you are enjoying your Saturday. I've just come back from nine back-to-back -back tests with a kayak group, so I'm pretty knackered, uh, ready to have some dinner and settle in for the night. I'll speak to you again soon, guys. Take it easy. Hey, guys, just back again. Oh, I just sort of realised that the, the example I gave about watts probably isn't the best one. I used it as an easier example, but technically watts is force, force times force <laughs> multiplied by time, so it wasn't the best example, but what I'm basically... What I mean by it is that if we, let's say, let's use newtons, because newtons is a, a measure of force. If we had, well, uh, let's say, 10 newtons of force, and it took us one second to produce it, then we have 10 watts, right? 10 divided by 1 equals 10. Whereas when we have hydrogen ions, it takes us two seconds to produce it because of the muscle, muscle relaxation time. We still have 10 newtons of force, but we divide it by 2, we've only got 5 watts, okay? So that's probably the better way to explain it. I probably shouldn't have gone down the, the, the watts um, line, but that's sort of what we're trying to do. So Newton stays the same, still the same force, but we divide it by more time, which means we have less overall watts or power. Um, hopefully that clarifies. Thanks, guys.